On today's episode, we're going to talk about something that potentially could be the reason why so many real estate agents struggle to hit their goals. We're going to break down the new mortgage LLPA pricing fiasco, and then we're going to talk more about the safety of door knocking. So before we jump into today's episode, if you're a real estate agent, you're watching, you're listening to the show, you're looking for coaching, you want help, you want support in building a listing-focused business, and you're not at the income that you want, I'm going to put a link to our Listing Agent Academy coaching program. You can get all the details, find out if it's something you want to participate in or not. And so with that being said, let's jump into today's episode. So the first thing I want to talk about is a really interesting concept when it comes to goal setting. Now, I don't want to get, and I don't want to split hairs on, you know, why real estate agents, why so many of them struggle to hit their goals or why so many of them fail out of the business. I made a lot of different videos about all the different reasons. Today's conversation is more focused on the 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 architecture, the framework in which we all set goals in the first place. And I think that you're going to find this super interesting, but more importantly than it being interesting, that you have some good concrete takeaways. So here's the idea. The idea of setting goals in our business of real estate sales, for the most part, for the most part, are based on outcomes that we have little or no control over. As an example, the outcome or a goal often is in income. I want to make $100,000 this year. I want to make 50,000. I want to make 150. I want to make 200,000. Well, that is an outcome. That is a result. And the thing I want you to consider in this conversation is are you at, are you in control of that outcome? In other words, if I told you, okay, put $100,000 in your bank account right now and I snap my fingers, could you do it? Well, you would probably respond with, well, no, obviously I can't do that. You would start to tell me all the things that you would have to do in order to generate that outcome. And what am I suggesting? Well, in goal setting, the goal or the or the focus rather should be on those actions, those behavior, those attitudes. In other words, the leading indicators that when we do them on a consistent basis result in the outcome in which we are seeking. Now, the best way, I, the best analogy I've ever heard on this is, is this. Let's just pretend I asked you like this whole actions before outcomes on, on how to set goals because people are saying, I want to make 100,000. I want to make 100,000. I want to make 100,000. I'm going to talk about something that we could potentially do differently that will lead you to better results. Let me give you this analogy. If I were to ask you right now, okay, without doing anything, you're listening or you're watching to this episode, and I said, increase your heart rate. Ready, go. You couldn't do it. Why? Because you can't just decide, okay, let me just think about this. All right, I made a decision. All right, heart rate elevated. You can't do it. What can you do to increase your heart rate. Then you start to come up with, well, I could run, I could jog, I do jumping jacks, I can do push-ups, I can lift weights. I can do all of these things. And the key thing is do actions, the behaviors that lead to an elevated heart rate. Well, if that is the case, and when I think about, man, that is exactly what's happening in real estate, is that real estate agents are focused so much on the outcomes in which they have no control, like their heartbeat, like their heartbeat. And maybe perhaps that being the reason why most struggle to accomplish those outcomes. Let me let me present a different way or a different approach that may serve you in getting to the result or the desired outcome that you want. Rather than having a goal that we already talked about, that we have little or no control over whatsoever, why not have the goal be the action? Why not have the goal be 
the leading indicator. In other words, this year, my goal is to have 7,200 conversations. That breaks out to about 30 conversations per day with prospects, past clients, center of influence, referral partners, so on and so forth. Why not make that the goal? Why not make the goal something that we have control over based on a decision, based on actions, based on our behavior, based on our attitudes? Because as we know, it's actions before outcomes. There's leading and lagging indicators. We just talked about all the things I think we would all agree on that what we can control, the working out, the exercising, the running, the jumping jacks, will then lead to an increased heart rate. We all agree on that, right? If that is the case, why not then make that the goal? Why not make the goal instead of saying, I want to take, I want 25 listings this year. I want 50 listings this year. Okay, make that, just do it. Give me 50 listings. Well, you can't. That's an outcome. But yet, that is what is all our, that's what's on our goal sheet. That's what's on our uh, business plan. That's what's on our vision board, are all outcomes in which we have zero control over. And I wanted to make this video because I, I started to think about this. I'm like, it makes a lot of sense. If the goal, if the leading indicator, if the key performance indicator, the KPI, to getting 50 listings, if you work the numbers backwards, meant that you had to have 5,000 new conversations because of your current skill set, that's a goal we can wrap our, our, our minds around because it's obtainable. It's something tangible. I can have 25 conversations a day. That's just a decision. I know for sure I can make that happen. I'm in control of that. And then as a result of that being the goal, here's the key thing. As a byproduct, I end up listing 50 houses. And when I think about that, when it comes in, term, in terms of goal setting, I start to think to myself, well, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe that is a key factor in, in human performance when it comes to reaching the outcomes or when it comes to goal setting, especially in real estate sales. Hey, go on a listing appointment today. Snap your fingers. Make it happen. Can't do it. You can't control whether, that, whether or not that happens. What you can control is how long are you going to prospect? How many doors are you going to knock? How many text messages are you going to send? How many meetings are you going to go to? How many videos are you going to post? How many blogs are you going to write? All of those things are, in fact, things that you can control. Yes, you agree. And if so, make that the goal. The goal today, 30 new conversations. And let the results and the outcomes be a manifestation of your execution on those actions. All right, so ever since the news has released information that the FHA or FHFA has released the new LLPA uh, pricing, the media and the housing market and the mortgage industry has just been having a field day with this. And with me to discuss this in greater detail, because I think there's a lot of, I think, what the FHFA director Thompson is calling misinformation is actually being taken out of context. And this episode, what we're going to talk about is clarifying everything on this whole new loan limit pricing adjustments. And so with me to discuss that in great detail, Mr. Steve Frost from National Mortgage Funding. Welcome back, my friend. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. So first and foremost, let's just, for anybody that uh, is not aware, quickly, we'll just tee this up. On May 1st, this these new home, uh, these new loan pricing adjustments go into effect. The, the, the confusion around this is around, is the FHFA is the government putting in pricing that helps people with lower credit and hurts people with higher credit? And that's where I think a lot of the confusion is. And so I got a lot of things I'm going to talk about, Steve. And so I want to tee this up with 
some some stories that have come out in the last two days. All right. So number one, the the director of FHFA, Director Thompson, she's kind of like she put out a whole statement on what she's calling just misinformation. And so what what she said was this. She said higher credit score borrowers are not being charged more so that lower credit score home buyers can pay less. That is not what is happening. And this is in response to a lot of people coming out and saying, you know, people with good credit are are, are paying more than people with bad credit. But here's my point. I don't think that's what people are saying. I think the criticism of these price adjustments is actually the thing that's being taken out of context. Let me explain this for a second. This is what we're talking about. And let me I'm going to share my screen because I think this is the best way to outline this. So um, let me find this really quick. So all right, let me share this. You'll be able to see this. Can you see my screen okay? Yeah. All right, I'm going to I'm going to highlight the section so the audience can see this if you're watching this on YouTube. If you are listening on the podcast, I will read what we're looking at. So this is from the mortgagereports.com. It isn't Steve, at least from my perspective, it isn't that the criticism is saying that people with more credit are paying more dollars. It's the percentage that was increased. So here's what it says. It says, based on the new LLPA matrix, someone buying a $400,000 home with a 740 credit score and 20% down, aka your perfect buyer, would see their fees increase on May 1st from $2,000 to $3,500. It's a $1,500 increase in fees. Don't know how, how anybody can debate that. However... A home buyer with a credit score of 640 with 3% down or the buyer that barely qualifies will notice a substantial fee decrease from 11,000 to 6,000. Now, what she is saying isn't wrong in that the person with worse credit dollar for dollar is in fact paying more dollars. But what I just showed you is undebatable. You agree? 100%. And that's, I think, where the criticism is coming from. Anybody can get a calculator and say, is this percent on 400000 more or less? My criticism of the changes on a show that we did earlier in the week or last week isn't suggesting that people with worse credit will pay less than people with better credit, it's just what I just showed you in the audience. I think this is the greatest example of the criticism. This is the pushback from your industry, which yeah. is the mortgage industry. And this is what the president of the Mortgage Bank Banker Association just released. He said, this, this is a letter he wrote to Director Thompson at the FHFA. He said that the third, here I won't highlight it. Here you go. The third iteration of changes, however, will raise costs for buyers, uh, for borrowers in the heat of enterprises' traditional market. I'm going to talk about that in a second and impose significant operational changes for the industry. The timing of these changes is especially troubling given current stress on the housing market conditions. And so he's talking specifically about DTI greater than 40, uh, 40%. And I think a lot of people, uh, the FHA, FHFA is getting a lot of pushback on this. And I think they're taking the criticism out of context, quite frankly. Your thoughts yeah. on this? So first and foremost, so the, the one for debt to income ratio, DTI over 40% got delayed, right? So I think they yep. pushed that back to like August 1st. Um, so whatever, right? I mean, you know, if, if, if you look at these and like, it's, so it's a, it's a three eighths of a point bump at 740 at 780 
credit score that doesn't exist anymore right like the mm -hmm. 780 780 essentially became the new 740 right so a lot of people are like well how do i get a credit score that high truth truth be told you know the the credit scoring models that we use as lenders so lenders always get the worst version of your credit right like you could go to credit karma you have a 900 score you're like Dude, i got the best credit ever i'm getting platinum amex offers i got everything you know and then you come to me and i'm like Look, dude, your 690 is going to cost you some extra money at closing, you know? Right. And so the, there, there's been a lot of changes in credit scoring. So we are seeing people that have good credit having a lot higher score, right? So I'm seeing more like 770s, 780s and things like that. So where 740 was the baseline, the 780 is now the baseline where you're paying the lower cost. But credit scores are also tending to report higher right now. And they've changed some of that weighting around. So you, you have that going for you, but there is, there is no, there is no sugarcoating this or making this look good. You were charging Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. They went into their, their model and they just put it out in like a, like some dot matrix machine. And they put all the dots where like all their loans fall based on loan to value and credit score. And they raise the prices on their biggest market. And so then they let, me, let me jump in right there. That's what, what yeah. you just said is exactly what I want to show the audience. So I'm going to share my screen again, and that is what what Steve just said is I think what people are really struggling with, including myself. And so you're looking on screen at the new pricing um, changes that come in May 1st. Now, I want to direct the audience attention to this heat map and on the heat map. It shows that the greatest increase in cost, we're not saying that these buyers are paying more. Anybody can do math. We're saying that the increase of cost by borrower is right what you just said, which is the heartbeat of the mortgage industry's ideal, uh, not ideal, uh, the biggest market, which is people that have a credit score between 720 and 740 putting 20% down because the story goes even deeper. And so I started to ask the question to myself, Steve. I said, well, it, that's interesting. Why was it that those two things got the highest increase in costs out of any other borrower? Part of it was because of what you just said in that that's where like most of the transactions are happening. So much so, I said, is that true? Is what I just said true? And I said, well, let's find out. So look at the screen yet again. And I did some research. What is the average or how much money did, did people put down on the most recent home that they, they purchased? Ding, 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 ding. Almost 40% of the home buyers put 20% down or more. In other words, this is the largest pool of loans in the marketplace and so anybody and everybody knows you want the truth, follow the money. Is the, yeah. So that's where my head's going at. My head's saying, okay, they went right after the mortgage industry's heartbeat of the business, which is that borrower, 720, putting 20% down, which lo and behold, when you start to look beneath the surface, you start to pull back the curtain, we find, oh, that's the largest pool of loans. That's where the government's making their, their most money. So yes, I think it's fair to criticize the fact that those people were hit the hardest. That is undebatable. What am I missing? You're you're spot on. And, and the other part of it is there's there's not a better part, right? With when you look at like as a business owner, right? And you're and you're gonna increase your prices and you're gonna increase your one thing you look at is like, okay, where's the most of our business, right? So we've got right. this group of people, we've got the heartbeat of the business, right? But we also say, okay, if we raise their prices and these people say, forget it, I'm not doing a conventional loan, what are my other options? FHA, not gonna happen. Non-qualified mortgage, not gonna happen. Oh, I'll enlist in the army, serve you know four years on active duty or two years on active, whatever the VA requirements are, right? Or I'm gonna do a real development. No, they are still going to do, like the conventional loan, with the higher cost is still going to be their highest option. So the government, just being a business person, the government said, okay, we're, this is the most of our business. We're going to charge them more money. 
And we know that they're not going to go anywhere else because this will still be the best option for them. 100% spot on. So well said. And and that, I think, is what people are pushing back on. Again, going back to the heat map, that's exactly... I don't know how someone can defend that. I mean, it is clear as day that the, the pinpoint of the price increases, to your point, are where most people are, are getting mortgages. And the people that got relief, right, are the people with worse credit putting the least amount down. And and I think that's that's the part that is raising concern for people like the CEO of the Mortgage Banker Association because if I'm you and I'm saying okay, you just hit it. You if if most of our clientele are responsible uh with their finances and they have done well, it isn't that and this is where I think people are taking this out of context. It isn't that we're saying that those people are having to pay more than people with worse credit. It's just that their increase in fees from what they were already paying, excuse me, are being increased more than anybody else's. That right. is what is happening that is undebatable. Right. And, and truth be told, I mean, the, the stuff on the lower end of that spectrum, so like I have just... Even yesterday, I was working on a loan site. An agent reached out. And he's like, hey, I got an FHA-approved buyer. Not getting our offers accepted anywhere. They're looking in kind of some different parts, of the, like an older part of Detroit. So they're seeing a lot of like appraisal issues that would come up on an FHA loan. So he sent me a 641 credit score buyer. Guy had a low debt-to-income ratio. He had 3% down. And he had like probably six months of reserves in the bank. So not a ton of reserves, but from a lending standard, pretty okay. And it wouldn't, I couldn't get it approved on Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac with as much as 10% down. Mm. So even that, you know, that they offer that they lowered those other buckets to make them more appealing for those lower credit score buyers. The same time, the algorithm that they use to approve those loans has become more stringent. So it's like it was, uh, you know, they, they almost could have just left those buckets alone, you know, Wait, and tell, not tell, even... tell, go, go back to that. Say that again. You're saying that the, the 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 borrowers that yes. that these price uh changes are ideally in theory supposed to help right these people that have are putting less down and have a lower credit score you could see the price the the, the ones in green mean it means that it got cheaper for them to borrow money is essentially what that means you're saying that the automated uh qualifying systems or the automated underwriting systems are getting harder on those same people? 100%. So like that, that the biggest improvement is under a 639 at 97% loan to value. So one and three quarter points, one and three quarters points better that borrower, you never say never, right? But that loan is never getting approved on a 3% down Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac loan with a 625 credit score. So wait like a minute, never this, this is this is what I want to challenge. If what you said is true, and I have no reason not to believe you, then there's actually more that meets the eye to this story than even I thought it did originally. In, in other words, here's what I just saw. On paper, maybe these administration the, the administration is saying, look, look, it's right here. We're helping all of you people. But in the real world, when it time when it when it comes time to apply for a mortgage, the it hasn't changed anything. No, this, it, have you thought about what I just said? Are you do you understand what I just said? Yeah, that doesn't it doesn't do anything. Everywhere that's green on there on the bottom part of that chart is is a no is a nothing burger. It does nothing. But on paper, it looks better. It looks better, and so these folks that say okay. Maybe one would look at that and say, this is awesome news. We're trying to uh, increase home affordability. We're trying to help those that need it. Look, we are doing something about it. We being the administration, in reality, right. it's done nothing is what you're saying. No, and you know the feedback is like, that's an FHA buyer, right? And the reason that's an FHA buyer is, is not because like, 
I want to pigeonhole somebody in that in that loan program or that that's a bad loan program or for that's for bad buyers or whatever it is. And I know that in a competitive market, you're always going to take a conventional offer over an FHA offer. Like that's just the way this world works. I'm totally, totally with that. The thing is, is that the part that nobody's talking about in here is mortgage insurance, right? Yeah. So Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have made these great changes, especially for the lower end of the spectrum. Well, a 660 credit score on a $200,000 loan with 3% down, you're paying like $250, two to $250 a month in PMI, in mortgage insurance. And you're probably getting an interest rate. Let, let's just say today, say say you have an LLPA waiver, right? So we'll go into the weeds now, but say you don't even have to pay these points because you're a first time home buyer and you make less than 80% of the area median income, you don't have to pay those points. Even at a 680 credit score, your PMI is gonna is is gonna be like is probably three times as much as you'll pay on an FHA loan. So it doesn't have to do with an FHA being better because of your credit score in this in this spectrum. It's because there's a really good chance that the F that conventional loans, number one, with a conventional loan, there's no we meet box A, B, C, and D, your loan's gonna close right? It's all an automated underwriting system. And there's been situations, especially in those lower tier credit, again, why they're making such a big deal out of benefiting these people would be making this automated under, underwriting system less temperamental because those conventional loans, you can lose that conventional loan approval and process. And then you have to go back to the FHA and then it messes everything. Then everybody's freaking out, you know? So it's, there's, there's way more that goes into it than that. But like you're saying that that that's just fluff down there. Like adding at making those things better, trying to bring those buyers in. Maybe the stuff below, if you put down 20%, yeah, you're gonna get a lot. That's that's a nice benefit on that heat map for those lower score buyers. And it does help in conventional loans. Maybe you'll get some appraisal waivers and some things to make it easy. But for any of those adjustments above 80%, it makes way more financial sense for most of those people under a 700 credit score to get an FHA other than in a competitive market like this, where people don't want to touch FHA loans with the 10 foot pole. Yeah. And, well, here's, here's my question. My question is if the goal of the federal housing finance agency is to make it easier for people with lower credit to get into a home, if that is the goal, and they come to a, a lender or a bank, and these pricing, in uh, these these the, the the new pricing model that in theory is supposed to help those folks do just that, get into more homes, isn't helping people get into more homes because they can't qualify anyways. Then wouldn't that suggest that the only people affected by this are the ones qualifying for the mortgages that are paying more in fees, and isn't the revenue that is coming from all of these mortgages being originated, going back to the government, coming from the same people that were paying before, but now they're just paying more? Yes. Prices got raised. And it only affects those people that were getting mortgages anyways. And I go back to the same thing that I just realized in this conversation is it's just a, it's just a mirage. Right. Those people can't get a loan anyways but on paper look we're helping all of you guys us here at the federal housing finance agency we're, we're helping you you know we're making it more affordable for you to get into a house but you can't qualify on this no one's talking about that is what you're saying 100 percent. and any and any loan officer that that's been doing it for a while knows that those are those are fha loans all day and it's it's not because we don't like Conventional loan is is easier for everybody involved. Seller, me, buyer, agents, title company, everything is easier. Everybody, less yeah. of everything to do a conventional loan. But when you're strictly looking, like right, you call like a fiduciary perspective, right? Like you're trying to find the best possible terms for that buyer where they're going to pay the least amount of money for the house or make the house as affordable as possible for them. And then mix that with what's going to be like easiest for them to do at the same time. And by easiest, I mean a process where we can say upfront, you are going to close at these terms. And at the closing, we end up with those terms, right? Like there's no switching those lower and buyers. That's, that's the FHA loan. So, 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 so you're saying, make, let me, let me just make sure I hear what you're saying. What you're saying is 
as a result of the changes in pricing that come into effect May 1st, does not help lower credit buyers get into homes the way that it was designed to do, and that the people that are already buying houses, it just became more expensive. Yes, 100%. That's it. Yep. I mean, there's no doubt that if you are on the lower end of that heat map where it's green and you qualify, so maybe you've got a whole bunch. So so lending, it it really relies on reserves, right? Especially for lower end lower ends of these bars, like big retirement accounts and, and different things like that. How much money you have in the bank that you're not using toward the transaction that you'll have in case something bad happens. Like how many months can you make payments out of money that you have? That's what Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac like. The, the situation though, is that a lot of times, in most cases, there's always the one-offs, right? But in most cases, if you have a 648 credit score, there's a really good chance you're also not fully funding your retirement or you're not mm. saving you know, 20% of your income before you something like that. Yeah, there's like a correlation there. It's just bad financial habits and that may be because that's all you know, or you may have had something bad happen. And again, you go back to, okay, something bad happened to me and we don't, you know, we don't have the best situation right now, but we've always been really good. Well, great. You'll do an FHA loan now. We'll get you into conventional loan later. But this, this is a solution that is less expensive for you. And on top of that, FHA made their loans more attractive. So they lowered their monthly PMI rates and FHA loans run at lower rates. So this isn't a big commercial for FHA loans. I'm just saying that, yes, you're the more well-qualified people are absolutely taking the brunt of this. And that is just, it's, it's a business move. Like these are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, like I've said before, they have CEOs, they have boards of directors, they have shareholders, they have all these things. So the goal of those companies is to make as much money as possible with as little risk as possible. Isn't that, isn't that what business is, right? And so that's saying, what they're doing. Yeah, this buyer right here that has a, a credit score under 640 that is putting 3% down that got a one and three quarter percent break on the cost of their mortgage can never get this mortgage. No, they're not getting that loan. They're going, they got to go to FHA. Yeah, they'd be I mean, way that, better. That, that's the, to me, to me, that's what we're talking about. That's the story. Yeah. Because all of this, this is all irrelevant anyways. And I guess I didn't realize that until... Literally, we're just talking about it. That's the story. And and bottom line, it's just the people that are getting mortgages, conventional mortgages anyways, just have to pay more. This did not do what I think their goal was, which is to help more people get into homes. That's what they're saying that the, the goal, goal was. What's that? The goal was to make more money, not to get more people into homes. Well, that's not what's being... Uh, that's not how it's being positioned. How how the right. FHFA, the director, comes right out in her statement on April twenty fifth, twenty twenty three, and talks about that this is is designed to help people get into more homes to help home affordability. I mean, that's the whole. That's why they did this. Is from my understanding. Is that correct? Yeah. And that's it's what not, they say. It's not doing I mean, that. It's certainly not. It's certainly not. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if if. If that was truly their goal and this is the outcome, then they have they have missed so badly. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's like that's my point. And the the other thing, like I said, this lenders have had so for anybody that's watching that's that's a home buyer or that's a real estate agent, and you've gotten you're working with clients that are buying homes, like everything that anybody that's been pre-approved within the last 60 days is this is already priced into their loan. So, right. and that's because these loans are, a lot of lenders put this in place because of these, this is going, it's loans that are sold to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac May 1st and after. And a lot of times there's like all kinds of hangups that don't allow loans to get sold to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac right away. Inevitably all conventional loans get sold to them, but there can be missed documents and maybe the lender collects the interest or servicing fees. And so there's all kinds of backend stuff that happens that may not be why a loan gets sold to Fannie Mae right away. But, but lenders are, are money makers. They lend money and they make money and that's all they do. And they are going to look at these loans and figure out the absolute best way for them to make the most possible money is to put these fees in place long before they could stand to lose money. And so we've already seen that. Like we've, like I have already written loans that had 
people had to pay more because their debt to income ratio is higher before they rolled that back. And we ended up getting that once they rolled it back, that fee was backed out of that loan before it closed. And, and so they do the right thing in that way. But this this is nothing new. And that, that's what's funny, even about the National Association of Mortgage Bankers, you read that that person's letter that he wrote, like, like if, if this was something you were so worried about, and you're so passionate about, and you're gonna write this letter, why are you writing it now? Like, mm. I'm just a lowly loan officer. I'm just one of the millions out here, like trying to make my way. And I've known about this since the middle of February, you know, like you should write your letter then before they're, before it's too late. You know, it's just, it's all nonsense. It's all it is, is that FHA came out like, and they made a business decision to make more money on the people that use them the most. Like that's all it is. Steve, we thank you so much. All right, so a recent article on Inman released last week said, and I quote, these days telling your agents to door knock for new business isn't just dated advice, but it could also be a deadly endeavor. In a world where gun violence is in our headlines daily, it's time to retire this technique for good. Well, on Tuesday, there was another article released on Inman that was written in response, which stated, don't knock door knocking. The benefits still outweigh the risk. So here to discuss door knocking safety, we're joined by Wendy Ledgerton. Wendy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And I think this is a pretty hot topic right now. It seems that article has seemed to make it rounds with, I think, a lot of different companies, a lot of different forums. And so I saw your response and I reached out to you the other day. And so um, what did, what was your original thought when you read the article released, the original article released a week ago? What was your original response or thoughts to that? My original response when I read it is, here we go again, another reason to speak out against guns because gun violence happened. And so now it's an opportunity to say why we shouldn't have guns. Because nowhere in the incidents that took place when I read the article had anything to do with our industry as realtors going out there and being a part of our community and door knocking. And so I just, there were no stats to really back it up. And because of there not being stats and what was used, people going to the wrong door late at night, 10 p.m. at night, going into rural areas. You know, and then today I read a follow-up. And, and again, those stats are out there with those same information. And now they're even adding to someone getting in the wrong car. But what does that have to do with being in the middle of the afternoon, being a professional, dressing as professional, pretty much probably no one in the neighborhood because you're gonna door knock in a geo farm. And, and so normally you're gonna be no one in that neighborhood. So what do these stats, what does that article truly have to do with our industry and knocking on a door? Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a great point. And so I think what I, what I hear you saying is there are, there are many, many different issues that that uh, and headlines that that a lot of people are passionate about, and we're bringing things inside of our industry that are taken out of context because of there's some specific nuance. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yes, I do, and I think because the individual has a fear, and so they take that fear and they try to put it in a box. And it doesn't fit in in the box for our professional industry. And, yeah. and that is kind of what touched for me. Yeah. And there's a couple of things that, that you said, Wendy, in your rebuttal or, or your response in the article that you wrote on Inman. And you said, I recently read an article about the safety of real estate agents and how that fear connects to door knocking and the idea of, of a gun behind the door. I've researched in depth for a statistic where a real estate agent was shot for door knocking and nothing is to be found. So it sounds like you've done a lot of research and can you kind of share with us maybe um, what you found? Yeah, so what, what I went out and found is I researched all the stats on NAR, so National Association of Realtors. Okay, so I looked at NAR and what does NAR have out there on door knocking? And the statistics show us that the majority of incidents that happen to agents are not from door knocking, but from open houses 
and from going and meeting clients that we've never met before. We get a lot of leads. And from those leads, it's a new meet and greet with a person that we don't know, you know. And so now we've learned to vet those people. Hopefully, most of us will. But we're going out and meeting people that we don't know. So 42%, I believe, was NAR's um, tally on that. Now, again, to go with her side of this, there is no statistics for door knocking. So yeah, I would mm -hmm. like to see those stats. And they and but if you if you look at the response to the Inman article, the first one and the second one, you'll find in there that so many people are mixed in this. So so to do a true, you know, ratio of door knocking, open house, first time meet and greets with the client. Put it into perspective and not only are we putting it in perspective but what area are you in because i can tell you i like my door knocking you'll read in the article where i got chased by a dog yeah <laughs> that was a fun one <laughs> and i'm not young so jumping over a fence was pretty interesting i have been um hosed down walking up to go into a little stepped area and someone was out there watering the yard and i said hey you know it's me wendy how you doing they turn around and hosed me down and they were laughing the whole time you know, and to be honest, um, I see him now and I wave to him, but I do not go up to their house. So that's one of the things that you have to look at is let's get the stats out there. Maybe these articles are an opportunity for NAR or NAR to get out there and do some true statistics, because I think the follow up article had some stats in there that truly aren't enough. I think we need more information, but also we cannot let our fears stop us from being part of our community. Yeah. And that's, and that's what really I touched on. Yeah. And I want to come back to that in just a second, the community piece. But what you just touched on was, you know, because I made a recent episode, I, I grabbed one of the uh, a, a top agent that gets most of his business through door knocking, who right. also read that article and we responded to it. And he brought up that exact same point, and that is that when you look at, you know, uh, realtors that have been harmed in the line of duty, so to speak, it's not coming from door knocking. It's coming from exactly what you said. It's coming from open house, and it's coming from first time showings. But that was nowhere to be mentioned in the article at all, and it was mm -hmm. just about door knocking. That's the part I found most interesting when I said, okay, there are there are uh, potential risks for real estate agents in dealing with the public. Most of the time or all of the statistics, when you actually look at it, to your point, the dangers don't come from door knocking. They come from what you said. They come from open houses and showing property to first-time um, prospects that we don't have a relationship with. And so yeah. the thing that I find very interesting is it's not a door knocking thing. It's safety for realtors in general. And I think we have to bring that context into this story that it's not just a door knocking thing. And I think that's what you're saying. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm saying because we had an incident in Orange County, California, where an inspector with another set of realtors and family members came to knock on a door on a property that was for sale. And there was a family feud going on. And unfortunately, the inspector was shot and killed. Mm. So those are incidences that we have to look at and we have to understand. And, and so we can say that that may be part of door knocking. But how much of that was also not understanding the family feud and what was really going on behind the scenes? And unfortunately, being the person at the front. Yeah. What what is your thought? Because I think that what you said at the beginning of this conversation is 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 very true in that, you know, gun violence in America is making all this daily headlines and we pull that into um the real estate industry without giving the right context. But at the same mm -hmm. point, if 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 we're gonna look at door knocking, well then you can question everything we do in real estate. You can you have to question everything that we do showing property, going on listing appointments, doing open houses. And so do you feel like there are people that are suggesting that this profession become uh, behind the technology, the wall of technology, and that we're just virtual robots? Is that kind of the feeling you're getting? Yes, 
Absolutely. And that's what really bothered me about it because, you know, and I am an older realtor and I have been in this business a while. And I feel that part of us as realtors are not just to buy and sell. And, and so, you know, when we get a heated market, we get people jumping in the market saying, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars because, you know, that it's so easy and it's not easy. And people learn the hard way and two, five years are gone. Um, but, but the thing is, is that we're not just that. We're also part of a community. You know, and, and a good example is there is this group of realtors in a city in Orange County that that they they go out and door knock and, and became entwined in the community. And now they do holiday events. They do a strawberry festival. They are so amazing at the, what they do because they are part of that community. And part of that is door knocking, you know, yeah. and people know them and the people go in the grocery stores and know them. We have to be part of our community we're not there just to be buying and selling and yeah that is you know the end result what and what we hope for but for me i'm a people person that's why i got in this business and i want to be part of those people i want to be part of the community and and you know like i said in my article one of them when i was door knocking was on a an elderly woman i'm a widow she was an older widow and so and i can tell you being a widow sometimes can be a lonely thing and she was lonely and she, and she was so excited that someone just came and wanted to talk to her that she invited me back for coffee, mm. you know, and now I've met another couple and we go on one Sunday a month and we go have coffee at a, at a local coffee shop. How, how neat is that? And I just sit there and listen to their day. Yeah, so, that's a great point. So we, we really have to look at, yeah, the safety, but also are we hiding behind our computers? Are we hiding behind technology? Now we have this, this chat GPT. So we're not even using our own words anymore. Mm. So how much is technology there to help us, but at the same time, is it taking us away from community? Yeah, it's a great point. And when you wrote about that in your article, I said, this is spot on, because I think that there are a lot of real estate agents that share that exact same vision for why they got into this business is to be a part of the community to serve people to serve community yeah. and you know i think something interesting is you know i don't think that you or anybody is saying you know that safety isn't something that we need to pay attention to but to take a statistical anomaly and take that and broad brush it across the the board and say that door knocking should be banned across the board based on a statistical anomaly, there are some unintended consequences for all of the good that these things also bring to the industry. And I think that's kind of what, what you're saying. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. That's exactly what I'm saying. There's so much that we, that we can do with and for our communities. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's pretty dangerous to, um, make decisions especially in an industry like ours in in a vacuum to say you know there are things i don't know that there are, are any i don't know if there's anything that we can do wendy to 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 lower the risk a hundred percent i don't just don't know if that's that's reasonable and to take a statistical you know improbability and make decisions on things like that that what type of society are we left with? You know, if if the risk is 1% of this and and 0.6% of that happening and 0.2% of that happening and we just live in fear, we might as well just, you know, not leave the house, right? Exactly. Exactly. And again, we're realtors. We're we're supposed to be part of our communities. We are supposed to be part of the people that we work with. We're supposed to have relationship building. At least that's my perspective. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, I think... Um, Can I back up just one more please, thing on that? Please, So Here's another example. I work for an investment firm. They send me out to homes where people are delinquent on their taxes. Mm. They will make the first call. They'll send letters. They'll get a response. They will talk to the people. And then they'll send me out as their real estate agent to meet with them. You ought to see the homes I go to. Okay. Yeah. So you know, the one, and the key thing is, is I go 
dead center in the middle of the afternoon. I dress extremely professional. And Dwayne was talking about not having a clipboard. I have a clipboard. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and when I go and knock on these doors, these people already, you know, have a guard up because guard, they're yeah. losing their home. Sure. And I have to go and I have to very, very soft touch that. So I'm going into a neighborhood where I don't know anybody. I'm knocking on this door and I'm asking them to work with me to help them get their homes sold or allow this indus this um, team to buy the home from them and help them get into a rental so so there you, you want to talk about knocking on a door and and having issues and i'm a female you sure, know and exactly. that's one of the things i read in the article and i think Me you too. saw some of the responses they wanted a female's point of view so there's my female point of view not only i'm knocking in a neighborhood where i know people but I'm going out and knocking for an investment firm on on very, you know, iffy, iffy situations. And I'm but be but understand I'm trained and I am protected and, and I do understand and I do canvas the neighborhood and I know the neighborhood and I don't park in front of the house. So there are certain things that I've learned and that I know and I know my surroundings and I can tell you what's behind me left and right and forward before I even knock on that door. So it's it's. You know, it's like I point. said, yeah, exactly. Are you worried about things coming into the real estate industry and being politicized? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and tell me about that. I think that that anytime there is a gun incident like we had, it immediately gets polarized and becomes a political point of view from left, right, even center. And yeah. I think that, you know, as we as realtors, you know, I believe old school do not talk politics or religion. Um, and I think that we need to take a step back and understand that. And and because, you know, I love everybody, you know, and and I and I think we need to embrace people and humans and fears and understand our industry and be professionals. And we're not there to take sides. We're there just to be part of a community and help somebody with the biggest sell they're ever going to deal with in their lifetime. Just think of the emotion behind that. No think doubt. about the emotion that I'm doing, knocking on someone's door who's about to lose a property. There is so much emotion. And so let's keep the politics out of it. You know, great point. I love it. Yeah. Wendy, thank you so much, uh, for having the courage to, to, um, stick up for what it is that you believe in. We're in a world where a lot of people probably wouldn't do that. And and I and I give you a lot of credit for responding and, and and voicing everything that you have. And so thanks for uh for sharing that on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having the show and having me on. I truly appreciate it. You got it, Wendy. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye -bye. Take care. Bye bye.